In our earthly lives, we find ourselves at a distance from and sometimes at odds with our Father in heaven. Fortunately, as Paul taught, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ allows what is broken or strained to be made good again. Like Paul, modern-day ministers of Christ's gospel point us toward this reconciliation. As we listen to these inspired leaders and follow the covenant path, Christ can repair and make good again our relationship with God. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I would define reconciliation as making something right again. For me, I think reconciliation is like fixing a relationship that maybe has been broken or tarnished. Whether it be Jesus Christ or whether it be a loved one, a family member, whoever that you have missed and you're getting to go into this most wonderful time of reconnecting with them and being a part of their lives again. The idea of repairing something that's broken, um, some people believe that it can never be as good again, right, once it's been repaired. But it can be, like, I think God can help us repair our hearts. And I think that we can work together and maybe make things better than they were before through communication and prayer and fasting and have, have our hearts be reconciled. Anything can be repaired. And you just have to do it with love and a lot of prayer and a lot of belief to be able to do that. And anything is repairable. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I'm your host. Our Gospel Scholar for today is Sean Hopkin. Dr. Hopkin is an Associate Professor of Ancient Scripture at BYU. He received his PhD in Hebrew studies with a focus on medieval Hebrew, Arabic, and Spanish literature from the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. And our special guest today is Jeremiah Morgan. Jeremiah Morgan is the Deputy Attorney General for the state of Missouri and serves as an Area 70 for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Missouri, Illinois, and Iowa, including Nauvoo. He is also responsible for church communication throughout the Midwest and Idaho. Jeremiah, welcome. Thank you, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much, Ben, and to, to return to BYU as well. <laughs> And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts and insights on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, I can be reconciled to God. And second, inspired leaders help me stay on the covenant path. Okay, so Sean, as we jump into this first topic, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, I can be reconciled to God. What sort of history or background can you give us as we start studying the book of 2 Corinthians? Right, so you have uh, Paul on his first mission has stopped in Corinth for 18 months. This is where he's a tent maker. Uh, he's called up before a proconsul called Gallio. And then he finishes that first mission. He's gonna write 1 Corinthians and he's gonna help them work on some real issues 
that are there just living in this really highly cosmopolitan Greek um, and really a, a large city kind of an environment. And then he's gonna go back and visit and that's a challenging visit. They have some issues. He's encouraging them to make some decisions and he wants there to be sort of a response to some immorality that okay. he sees in the church. Those are always great conversations These to have, are right? always comfortable <laughs> Good, moments, tough conversations right? they have with, yeah. uh, with and, and people. So, so you see that very clearly, and, and it didn't go well, mm -hmm. actually. So he left, yeah. and, and he's hurt. He's hurt uh, from the relationship that had developed, and you can tell this has been weighing on him mm -hmm. in this letter back. And, and so clearly there was some, some discomfort in the way that his counsel was received and now he's trying to resolve that. And you can see that hurt, hurt going sort of both ways. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, very clearly. And so th this idea that of reconciliation very much permeates these first few chapters. Jeremiah, what are some of your thoughts on not only what Paul is trying to do, but just on the word reconciliation? What does that even mean? Really two things come to mind. First, in, in the world that we live in today, I think a lot of people want to say, I am who I am and I want God to come to me, right. right? And so what we see here and the important, I think, doctrinal principle of reconciliation is us coming to God, making the changes in our life, you know, whatever they may be, to get closer to God. And that process, of course, requires the atonement of Jesus Christ, an essential part of that. But then that leads us into the second part of, I think, this reconciliation principle where, we, where we're talking about not just making the changes we need to make, but also when we get to the end, everything we can do, there's still a gap. Mm -hmm. And the atonement of Jesus Christ filling that gap okay. to reconcile us to God. Okay, so to better help us understand this, this concept of reconciliation, I wanna ask the audience a question. When have you had something that was meaningful to you break and how did you repair it? Stephanie. Yes, for me, I went through a decision of going through a divorce after 30 years. And it was a very, very difficult decision. I just needed to get in the temple. I needed to find an answer. And I just really had to go to the temple. And, and I was waiting for that still small voice, but it wasn't a still small voice. It was over my shoulder. You're done. You deserve happiness. It was a very blatant, loud, I'm like, thank you. So for me, it felt like that was reconciliation for me going, okay, I can do this. That was the answer I needed. Stephanie, what is the role of Jesus Christ in helping us uh, repair things in our lives that sometimes can become broken? Oh, absolutely. Jesus Christ is everything. He, you, no matter what you're going through, this is what I need. And Jesus, I know you're right there. You're my brother. I'm talking to you as my brother. Help me with this. And with anything, he's always there for us if we just ask. And he's always there whether we ask or not, but right. he'll answer us a lot better if we can ask. Thanks, Stephanie. Sean, what can you add to this uh, conversation to help us understand this concept of, of reconciliation and what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian saints? So uh, conciliare, to sit down with, um, and then read, to sit down again with. So you've been in a conversation, right. you've been eating a meal together. There's something really mm -hmm. profound yeah. about eating with someone and you see them almost as an equal. And, and then the, the way that word connects with atonement, at one so you, you see the same kinds yeah. of things going on. The atonement of Christ allows 
us to sit down to be friends again. Um, and, and this is fascinating, uh, what you were just talking about, Stephanie, because the, the reconciliation often can happen with our loved ones and we long for it. And sometimes that just isn't possible. And what's most important is that often the breaks in our personal lives cause this sort of emotional, spiritual break in our relationship with God. There's, we're wounded, we're, we're, it's challenging. And God says, come with me and I will sit, I'll meet you there. And then as you were saying, and then I won't leave you there. Right. I'll draw you mm-hmm. into back into a relationship with me. And that's the most important relationship here. And I was thinking about when Stephanie was talking about her reconciliation, that uh, one thing we uh, recognize too is that quite often our reconciliation involves other people, right? Helping mm-hmm. them to, cat- to be a catalyst, whether it's a catalyst mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. As, the, as the scriptures in 2 Corinthians might say, an ambassador or a helper or a worker, or, you know, that's helping to bring that about. Can we go on and read some of these verses uh, and see what Paul is, is actually uh, saying and teaching to the saints? So I'm going to, let's go there, Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. So I'm trying to help you, but, but I could tell in my efforts to help it. It hurt, you know, and I worry about that. And as a church leader, as I've served at times as a bishop, um, there's, I need to say this, but I hope you feel my love Mm -hmm. and the Lord's love more importantly. All right, and then let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and now you see this reconciliation, he's about to use that word, he is a new creature. It renews and renovates everything. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God who hath, and here it is, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And it's that break with God that's mm-hmm. really of utmost concern to Paul. And hath given, unto, uh, given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, and I love this, the word of reconciliation. Yeah. And, and then he goes on to talk about being ambassadors. We may, we may come back to there. And I love that play on, you know, that uh, the word, because we, we often refer to the Savior Jesus Christ as the word, the word, right? You think about the word of reconciliation, Jesus Christ being the, the, the part and the essential part of that reconciliation to God. You know, uh, Jeremiah, you shared uh, about in some of your callings and, and you as well, Sean, that you play a role in helping uh, individuals mend some of those relationships that have been broken between them and God. Uh, how important is it to understand that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, individuals can repair that relationship? I, I can remember when I served as a bishop and got called as a bishop thinking, when I learned about all the members of the, of the congregation of the ward and knew the challenges that they were facing, I would look out over the ward and think, oh man, what a mess, you know? But it was exactly the opposite of that. When I looked out over the congregation, I thought to myself, this is amazing. This is amazing. Notwithstanding all the challenges, all the difficulties, which most of us don't see, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't see inside of their lives and so forth. You look out and you see individuals that are there, you know, seeking reconciliation with the challenges that they face individually and collectively. It's, It's a miracle to behold, really. Okay, we had a question come in, and I want to get both of your thoughts. 
very a young uh, viewer uh, has a question about reconciliation. So let's watch that and then I wanna see what you guys have to say. Hi, I'm Lily from Oregon. My question is, I keep making the same mistake over and over again. How can I be forgiven by the Savior when I don't keep my promises? And the truth of the matter is, this is not just Lily has that experience. We all have that. I have that experience yeah. too. Where it's, you know, I've, I've made a change. I wanted to be reconciled. I wanted to repent. And then I make the same mistake again. And then how is it possible the Savior could say, it's okay. I'll welcome you back. But it is endless, His mercy towards us. And that reconciliation, we can't think of it as a one-time event. We really can't. We have to think of it as a, an iterative, continuous process. And I would say, you know, we hear this from prophets and apostles all the time, particularly I think of uh, uh, Elder Holland, who often says, do not give up, never give up, never give up. Keep going, mm -hmm. keep going, keep standing up, brushing yourself off and keep going. Now, Sean, you had mentioned earlier in some of these verses we read in chapter five about being ambassadors to Christ. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how that relates to our role once we have gained a testimony of, of the healing, reconciliation, those uh, that comes through Jesus Christ? What's, what's next for us? Yeah, that, that's a really, I like the way you asked that question. So let's read verses 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. There's that word. He, he's hitting that bell. Keeps coming right? back. Dong, dong, dong. And, and reconciliation, reconciliation, reconciliation. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So notice what Paul is doing here that is so brilliant. He was a fairly brilliant guy. He is saying us. Christ is the perfect one. I'm a servant. I'm an ambassador. I've got, I'm on my own journey. And he's very vulnerable about thorns in the flesh and things like that in other places. And, and so all of us have our things we're working on. And so we actually maybe you might say are better ambassadors of Christ having weakness, yeah. right? Because we, this is a process right. we desperately need as well. But when we forget that, we're probably pretty poor ambassadors of Christ. And Paul is pointing to that. Well, the, and the whole, this whole set of uh, chapters and scriptures and what he's uh, writing to the Corinthians feels also like his own reconciliation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it, you know, in the process, that's why- He's you, modeling it. It's modeling yeah. that in somebody that is also, you know, is experiencing these same things. And he's modeling that for the saints in Corinth yeah. at the same time. So how has receiving forgiveness from God helped you be more forgiving of others? Annie. Um, and I, I read just a book recently talking about Abigail in the Old Testament and how she went to David after her husband had offended David so greatly. And she went to him and said, please let the sin be on me. And, you know, that he realized, well, of course I wouldn't not forgive you, you wonderful person. And then I thought, that is the same for us. You know, if we don't forgive others, we're basically saying, if I don't forgive others, I've got to make this personal. I've, I'm basically saying that the Savior didn't do enough, no. that he didn't take away that sin enough for me to forgive. Annie, how does the Holy Ghost help you in your efforts to forgive others? by bringing messages to my mind constantly, like you really need to take care of this. You really need to fix this. You need to, you know, make things right in that way. It's very, great blessing. You know, and of all the people to, to 
to be able to speak to the power of forgiveness. You know, Paul great was once Saul, the experiences yeah, he went through, having point. received that. Uh, President Nelson has a beautiful quote that talks about the power that comes into our lives as we forgive others. He said, end the conflicts in your life, exercise the humility, courage, and strength required both to forgive and to seek forgiveness. The Savior has promised that if we forgive men their trespasses, our heavenly Father will also forgive us. If forgiveness presently seems impossible, plead for power through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ to help you. As you do so, I promise personal peace and a burst of spiritual momentum. Mm. Well, thank you both for uh, sharing in this first uh, discussion topic about the atonement and how we can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And for our audience, thank you so much for sharing uh, with us as well. And for those at home watching, what does the possibility of reconciliation mean to you? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. A leader that's had a really positive impact on my life was my first um, young women leader. I was probably 14 to 16 when she was my president, and she was also an artist. And so she had this knack of just having us girls come over one at a time whenever we were troubled and sit down and she would put an easel and a paintbrush in front of us and she would paint next to us and we would just talk. And uh, that was really impactful for a young teenage girl. I've had many leaders with positive impacts. I, back to my girls camp directors, to my young women's leaders. Recently, of course, Christ, we look at Him for everything because He's ultimately what we want to be like and who we want to be back with. President Nelson right now, there's just days that I'm just, when things are crazy, I just need to hear His words. And sometimes I'll just don't care what talk it is, I'll just put it on just to hear His words. And I'm so grateful that I can do that. And of course, you know, going to church every week, there's just certain people that have a smile on and stand out like my bishop, and, and that's what I look for. The second topic we're gonna to discuss today is inspired leaders help me stay on the covenant path. All right, Sean, do you wanna give us a little background leading into this next topic? So there are a few verses here. I just wanna point out a couple of them. In six, chapter six, sort of starting in verse four, he talks about the, the manner of ministry, you might say, and the way that he's tried and others have tried. So you've got Timothy, you've got Sylvanus, you've got a number of other leaders, Titus, that are, he's teaching how to lead as well. It ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Now, skip forward to verse 11. And I just love what he does here. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you our heart is enlarged. And, and there's two things probably going on there. Our mouth is expressing love, but also there's times when it has to express truth. And mm -hmm. that there's, there's, there really are some standards uh, of, for being a Christian, a follower of Christ. Now, let's just move over one other thing. Chapter seven, verse 16, sort of brings that whole section to a close. And so I wanted just two lines. I rejoice therefore, I have confidence in you in all things, right? So beautiful for Paul to model what a church, how a church leader would interact. 
What other parallels do we see as we talk about the ancient church with the modern church, specifically as it comes to our leaders and their efforts to help us uh, along that covenant path? One of the things that I think we have a responsibility to do, and it's, and it's perfectly described in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, one of my favorite scriptures, to be honest with you. In chapter okay. 2, Paul uh, leads into this by saying, I determined with myself that I would not come again to you in heaviness. And so I, when I think about that, I think about young people, and they're like, you know, I'm not going to come to you as a bummer man to, to, to bring you down, right? <laughs> that's, that's not my role, right? That's as a leader of the church and helping others. You know, we don't want to come to people and to, to pull them down. Because he says in the next verse, for if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, mm. but the same which is made sorry by me, right? Mm. And then you, then you back into the very first chapter, the last uh, verse, and he says, now for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. Mm. I just love that, helpers of your joy. I, I've uh, often spoke about this concept to, uh, to be an advocate of joy. As a leader of the church, you know, and, uh, and really all of us are leaders as ministers, whatever responsibility we have, we have the responsibility to be the advocates of joy. I love that. There's a quote talking about how we should view our leaders. And Elder Holland says this, be kind regarding human frailty, your own as well as that of those who serve with you in a church led by volunteer mortal men and women. <laughs> Except in the case of his only perfect begotten son, imperfect people are all God has ever had to work with. That must be terribly frustrating to him. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but he deals with it. So should we. And when you see imperfection, remember that the limitation is not in the divinity of the work. You know, when we right. look at some of the efforts, uh, especially with Paul, Sean, why is, is this idea of, leadership so important to Paul as he's trying to teach these saints with some of the struggles that they're dealing with? Well, I think we can, we're, we're expressing and feeling this tension. This from Elder Holland is so Pauline, you might say, <laughs> right. right? That he, I've got to teach truth or the power is gone. But then Jacob expresses it, it as well when he says, I have some things to say, but I'm really worried that I'm going to wound mm -hmm. your tender hearts. Yeah. And, and I don't want to wound your tender hearts. And so this sort of preaching the truth that has power to lift us, but then having enough balm to make sure that each of us know God loves you. It's okay, I have weakness, you have weakness. And that tension I think is pretty strong at times. How vital is it that leaders today lead with love? I, I, it's absolutely essential because you know people who feel that they are loved have a genuine desire to change. As I've trained leaders, whether as a stake president or as a, now as an Area 70, that uh, when they go out, don't be reserved. Don't be, don't be um, <laughs> you know, sit on the stand and, and fold your arms and have your head down and <laughs> not engage with people. Because I've said to them, you know what? <clears throat> if you do that, you better be right all the time. And you can't, you can't be right all the time. Instead, reach out. You know, show your love, shake people's hands, get to know them, learn about their children, learn about their, their hobbies and things. Because when the time comes and we make a mistake, they might say, well, that President Morgan, he sure made a dumb mistake, but I kind of like it, you know? <laughs> and so that's the kind of thing, if we, if we lead with love, if we're reaching out in love, then people, then they'll, they'll give us a break, mm -hmm. right? And so as a leader of the church, we gotta lead with love so that people can can feel that and feel the uh, change in their lives. Mm -hmm. 
as we talk about this second topic, um, inspired leaders are to help us stay or sometimes get on the covenant path. Uh, what can you speak to that uh, about the covenant path? For those that may not be familiar with it, we hear about it a lot from President Nelson. Yes. What is a covenant path and why are we trying to, why is it important that we stay on this path? Yeah, the, the covenant path, as uh, President Nelson and others, you know, leaders of the church have taught, is, is our way back to our Heavenly Father. So it's part of, the, you sort of, part of the same reconciliation returning to our Heavenly Father. And we, we don't just think of it in an overarching general sense, let's all get on the covenant path, mm -hmm. which is all good. <laughs> but uh, an inspired leader, inspired leaders think about individuals and how can I help this individual, this specific individual, get on the covenant path? If I had a a couple that had come to me as when I was serving as a stake president who were really struggling, struggling within their church community, right? Some, some internal conflict. And, uh, and it was having an effect upon their 17-year-old son. And uh, they came and they said, what, are, what can we do? And uh, we prayed about it. We prayed about it individually. Like, what, Heavenly Father, what would you have done for this couple or this we were particularly concerned about this young man. And the answer came in a very surprising way. And it came, uh, it came in a version of a calling, right? Mm -hmm. They should be called to do this. I'll tell you, I, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but this always happens. And that is the Lord answers the question in the way that's most important, the best way for them. And uh, as a consequence, that young man got on the covenant path. He got the Melchizedek priesthood. He went on his mission. He went to the temple, all of those things. But because inspiration was sought specifically for that, the parents and for that young man. Sean? I think there's something really important here that sometimes I think we misunderstand that the covenant path is a cookie cutter kind of a, <laughs> a, a layer of progression. This, we're then all, this, then this, and this, the, and then yeah, you're done. Right. Yeah, yeah, we did, we did it. We walked down that path and it looks the same. It does not look yeah, the same for everybody. No. And so there are signposts that are really important along the way. But I love this story because it's personal inspiration. What do, what do you need next on the covenant path? What do I need next? And I think when I ask myself that question, I think if any of us ask ourselves that question, then something comes yeah. to our minds. Oh, mm -hmm. this is what I need to do. And it's gonna, mine is gonna be totally different than yeah. yours. Even though the next ordinance, we will probably both participate in, we'll be taking the sacrament right. on Sunday. So yeah. there's similarities, but mine is different than yours because God loves each of us yeah. as individuals. My experience has always been when we sincerely with faith, real intent, asking for inspiration specifically for, you know, for, whether it's for ourselves, but especially for somebody else, God always answers that. Jeremiah, you have a very unique uh, conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. Uh, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about your background and who inspired you to get on the covenant path? Yeah, I, uh, thanks, man. I, I grew up uh, not a member of the church, but not too far from the right. church. <laughs> I grew up a member of the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, now called the Community of Christ Church. I was raised with the Book of Mormon. I was raised with the prophet Joseph Smith. And uh, a time in my life came that I wanted to know, is the church of my childhood, uh, was it right or true, or was this the true church? And um, it might come as a su slight surprise to, to say this, but uh, the greatest influence, the greatest, I would say, greatest spiritual leader for me was my mother, who actually never joined the church. <laughs> when I was in junior high, we lived in a mobile home, 
and uh, mobile home, the walls are thin, spaces are all small. My mother determined that she was going to read to me from the Book of Mormon every single day, whether I was listening or not. It didn't <laughs> matter. So I'm getting ready for school, brushing my teeth and getting dressed and all that. And my mother's sitting in the front room reading uh, the Book of Mormon to me. And that laid the foundation for my faith and uh, my getting on the covenant path. I told her uh, when I was 16, I, was, I wanted to join the church. And uh, she didn't let me join until I was 18. Mm. I was baptized when I was 18, but I knew it was true. And uh, I credit my mother for helping me, even though she's not a member of the church. Right. She, wasn't, she wasn't called as a leader for me in that sense. But I would say that parents, mothers, fathers, and others, they are some of the greatest spiritual leaders we can have in our lives. Thanks for sharing that, Mr. Chairman. Yeah. It's, it's really inspiring, yeah. especially as a parent, to think of the effect you can have on your children from that leadership role. Sean, what are your thoughts? Well, so first of all, I just wanna, I, I love that story as well. And as I think of those that have had the most powerful influence on me, some of them have been formal leaders. Mm -hmm. Some of them have been bishops, elders, corn presidents, young men's leaders, uh, teachers in school that I didn't even know what religious faith uh, they came from, right? Uh, some of them have just been friends walking by my side uh, and my wife and my parents and, and even my children, right? Walking by my side and leading in love. And so I think that one of the things Paul's doing here is he's saying, we're, we're on this journey together and I've got a job to do, but you've all got a job to do and let's figure out together how to do this to minister in love. You know, I, I love what's been shared about leaders can be formal in a call position or they can be just you know, within the walls of our own home. Yeah. President Nelson uh, speaks of the importance that we all can be leaders and have influence on others in our lives. He said, you can shape the destiny of the entire human family. Mm. You will be scattered like seeds in the wind to build up the church in all the parts of the world. As you know and apply the teachings of the Lord in your lives and in your work, you can change the world. You will become a precious part of his perennial pattern. The Lord uses the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. Well, thank you both so much for your thoughts and comments. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. Been great, thank you. And for the audience, thank you as well for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us. And for you at home, we still have so much to cover in footnotes, stay with us. Surprisingly, the Spirit communicates with me through music. I am not musically inclined. My husband is the one who plays the piano. My kids all sing, and I'm the off-tune person in our family. But whenever I'm having those times of despair where you're just sobbing, music comes to my mind. And generally, the songs are Where Can I Turn for Peace, or A Poor Wayfaring Man of Grief, or Amazing Grace. And I feel those lyrics in my heart, and my whole soul is at peace. I am still learning how the Spirit communicates with me like on a daily basis. Sometimes it's just that an idea comes and it feels right, or things are easy. Like I, with my husband, you know, it's just so easy, our relationship. So I think sometimes it's that. There's the peace that comes in your heart. Um, so I, I'm learning that that's more how the Spirit communicates with me. Sometimes he'll drop a mountain on me to wake me up, and other times it's a tap on the shoulder. It depends on the situation. Um, if I stay tuned into him, it, it's a tap on the shoulder. If I drift away, he has to drop a mountain on me, but he always grabs my attention. 
Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from 2 Corinthians 1 through 7 with Sean and Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you live in a really um, rich area for church history. I would love to get some of your perspectives on uh, some of the things we've already talked about, but from the lens from which you were raised and, and how you see things from a church history standpoint in that region. Yeah, and I think the, the scriptures that we've studied today, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 through 7, really highlight some of the things that the early church in this dispensation also experienced. When the church went to uh, Missouri, at the time they, they were coming from Kirtland and uh, they had experienced some challenges there as well. At the time, uh, Lilburn Boggs, who would become governor, mm-hmm. was living in Independence, which is where the church was sent, where they faced some of that harshest persecution. Now, I fast forward uh, to you and, and thinking about the topics of reconciliation, mm-hmm. what we've been studying here in, in 2 Corinthians, the reconciliation that, experience, that the church has experienced uh, was, I think, amplified or a, an example of that is when the Kansas City, Missouri Temple was dedicated. I was there for that. And uh, the governor of Missouri came back to the temple, to the open house, and he expressed those words of reconciliation as part of, you know, the church and the temple being built there in Kansas City. It was really a remarkable experience. In fact, he produced a proclamation for the church as part of that. That's amazing. That's really neat. Yeah. So you're making me think, uh, let's read a verse here. Uh, the way Paul kicks this all off, we haven't mentioned this verse, is the way that he talks about God. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Mm-hmm. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. So he could have described God in a lot of different ways yeah. there, but instead he chooses to describe him. And this is not language we use very often. The God of comfort. Of that all is, comfort. Yeah, that, no, great. Yeah, thank you. It's really powerful language yeah. right there as we think about this theme uh, of reconciliation and, and uh, trying to join back things that are broken. One other last thought here. There's a really great article by someone I know named Phil Barlow where he says, he sort of describes Joseph Smith's prophetic project as restoring broken things, bringing Mm -hmm. things that have been Mm -hmm. divided back together, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old world and the new world, families that have uh, been broken by tragedy or families that have been broken by death, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Those of us who are broken in our relationship with God. And I love that, that God through the restoration is saying, I'm trying to restore broken things. And sometimes um, when we talk about breaking things, it's not always related to sin. Right. You know, we, we, that when we cause that gap, true. it can just be life circumstances. Your yeah. spirits are, are broken. You feel like you've just, that you're crumbling because of all the challenges that life brings sometimes. And that's one aspect of the atonement that it, uh, can be overlooked. Uh, the idea that the atonement is just for the sinners. Or clearly, uh, I think it was President Faust who mentioned this, the atonement was not just for sinners. It's for all those times in life when life just happens. I mean, you know, the atonement works not just for the mistakes we've made, but even for the things yeah. that others have caused, you know. And I, you know, which leads me to think about, you know, what is our role, what is our role as, as described in these chapters 
uh, that uh, you know, Paul is talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that he goes through and he gives several descriptions of it. The first one begins in, in chapter one, verse uh, 24, mm-hmm. where he says, but are helpers of joy. So that's, that's the first reference, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So he's yeah, this instruction to the, to the members and to, and to the leaders to be not just, to, not just on the sidelines observing, but to be in it, you know, to be helpers of joy. And that the point of all of what we're doing with the plan and with all the church service and everything, it's, it's to be happy. We are supposed to be, to experience joy. Um, you know, as the Book of Mormon talked about, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. joy. This yeah. is what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And to think of our service in that way as joyful service, not heavy, not onerous, yeah. but joyful. Right. Yeah. Well, we got through one of them so far. Yeah, so, yeah. so we'll get to the second one. In chapter three, verse six, it talks about who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. We talk a lot about ministers now. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have ministering brothers and ministering sisters and, uh, and emphasizing how can, we, how can we be, as Paul describes here, uh, ministers of the New Testament. Mm. The other, uh, so the uh, next uh, couple, are, uh, one, one is in chapter five. It's uh, one we've already referenced in verse 20, where we speak about this reconciliation. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Now we think of ambassadors today, mm-hmm. and I think there's some relevance to you know, ambassadors today, right? They don't just sit around in their own country or their own land, right? And, and just wait for people to come to them. Their responsibility, their job is to go out, right? And be there with the people. So what, are, what would be a, a synonym for ambassador? Like what, I don't know if there's a specific definition that would help us understand uh, what an ambassador of Christ would be? Is it like a representative? Yeah, I think if we're gonna use the way, you know, some ideas with what we use, how we use the how word think about today, it today. Mm-hmm. right? And an ambassador comes from one place to another and sort of lives there, brings a message, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. And so you could think of synonyms with sort of this apostolist, the, those sent forth of, or angelic, so the, the Malachim that are sort of bringing this messenger for, uh, message forward, or you could think these sort of political synonyms, yeah, right? Sort of representative. Would, yeah, or, yeah, so yeah representative. an official representative, yeah. but one who sort of takes the message. I think sometimes people feel like, well, missionary work, that's a little aggressive, right? You know, why, are, why are you knocking on my door? Well, because God meets us. He, he comes looking for us. He searches for us. It's, it's not, God doesn't sit passively. God is bringing his love to us. And to me, that's what these ambassadors are doing. Yeah. Let me, God's here. Let me bring his love right to your doorstep. Let me bring it into your home. Yeah. So as missionaries, you know, because we have missionaries all across the world, according to verse 20, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, they are acting as ambassadors. Their job yeah. is to go help others reconcile with God. They are, they are that's ambassadors really nice. of Christ. That's, a, that that's, that's a, beautiful. That yes, is. I like that. That's their principal role is to, uh, to teach the doctrine of Christ, mm-hmm. which is to say, bring them to Christ, you know, reconcile them to God. So I love that, that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, man. very nice. There's a couple other uh, variations of what we're supposed to do, but I wanna, I wanna end uh, with one and <laughs> ask Sean a question. It, there's, a, there's a very unique description in here in, verse, in chapter three uh, it's actually in, in both verse two and three, 
where it says, Ye are epistles, epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men, forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. This is the very famous part. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. I just think these are this such beautiful language mm-hmm. that he's using oh, yeah. and this idea of there was a law that was written in tables of stone, but now God is using the spirit to write upon our hearts. But there's language there. There's the word, Christ known as the logos, Christ known as the yeah. word. And, and now that word has come into your heart. Heart has on your heart. Letter. Yeah. The word is written oh, on your man. heart. And think of a like, love letter. Think yeah. of and, and these epistles often uh, they'll write them because you're disconnect. That's why you write an epistle, right? So you've got somebody over there that you want to be in communication yeah. with. You want to be reconciled with. You want to sit down with, but you're separate. And so that's how you send the message. You and, and then the epistle reaches them where they are. Uh, I just think that that question itself is so insightful. What does it mean to be an epistle of Christ? In chapter six, we're talking about uh, some of the counsel that Paul has given. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Some of the verse 17, uh, come out from among them and be ye separate. Say the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. What is Paul trying to, uh, to describe here or teach as we try to go out and reach out. Also, we have this message. What's the, where's the balance that, he, that we're trying to reach here? He is building off of Isaiahic imagery where that's the messages they're in Babylon to come out yeah. from Babylon. He's saying, no, you're not coming out as in, we're not moving out of the city. You're in Corinth. How do you stay connected to Christ and, and devoted to your covenant relationship with Christ and also live amongst those who don't mm-hmm. see the world in the same way. So what are some of the things that, that you have done as you've grown up and if you've been in different environments to be able to live among those that may believe in a different manner or, or practice in a different manner? How do you stay firm? How do you keep focused on, on what you've promised and covenanted to do? So I might start with what might seem counterintuitive, but I think makes sense once you think about it. And that is, if you will search for the good in those that you interact with and then love it and build it up and appreciate it, that's gonna build me up as a disciple of Christ, but it will also then allow that relationship to be centered on things that are the healthiest parts of my life and of that other person's life because that person is a child of God as well. God loves that person. I'm not the only one who has something to offer here. So let me learn from, be edified by, and be lifted by in a way that then that's what the relationship is about. It's about this beauty that we actually share and that instead of resisting evil, which we also need to do, it's running to good and running to truth in our relationships with others that I think is warm and positive, hopefully. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I try not to hide who I am. I think that's part of what we do to, to come out from the world while being in it. And that is we, we, we don't hide. We're not ashamed of who we are. And, uh, you know, in the face of challenges or people that have concerns of, you know, about the church or different things like that, we, we don't have to be afraid of those things. Mm-hmm. We don't. I might add something here. This 
interestingly enough, is such a stark contrast as biblical scholars have read this very loving, conciliatory, hey, let's make sure we're good. Right. And then they get to this section and he's saying, go out from among the unbelievers, right? Be not unequally yoked. And there have been those who have suggested this can't be Paul. This this doesn't <laughs> this fit doesn't here, sound like right? right? And and we don't need to get into that debate, but it is fascinating. We have talked a number of times about the challenge when in love you need to teach some truths. And I do think it's important for us to recognize we live in a world where some would want to just say, honor exactly where I stand and don't try to help me see things any differently. And if you do, that's that's an aggressive thing, you know, that that I, that I don't wanna hear. And, and that, unfortunately or fortunately, that's not what we're doing here. We're saying there's some truths and we do need to love and honor and value each experience. And I, I have to teach some things. I, you know, we, we say all the time, I, I've said uh, many times, it's like, brothers and sisters, you're doing wonderfully, but we can do better, yeah. Yeah. you know? And I think about leaders and sometimes uh, a leader will have to stand up when nobody else agrees. And that's, that's leadership. And that's, uh, I would say even that's gospel leadership, that you stand for the truth, even when those around you don't agree with you. I've had a moment when I was a freshman, we thought it was pretty funny in my dorm to go and find little cars and turn them sideways <laughs> in their parking spaces. We thought that was a pretty hilarious thing, right? Oh boy. So we pick you them up. You know there's people out there thinking, that was you. I apologize the statute of limitations run on those claims? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm in a different state. Uh, oh, yeah, so, so, and then this, there's, 10, 15 of us, and this young man comes by and he's like, hey, put that down. You shouldn't be doing that. And we're like, whatever, we kept doing it. He's like, I'm serious, put that down right now. And he's just this little guy. And we were like, eh. And we went up into our dorm, we're like, that guy's stupid, but we put the car down. He changed yeah. the course of events by taking a stand. And I thought, well, that was lame. And then here I am 20 years later, I'm like, that was really cool. That was really impressive. And here's Paul being vulnerable, mm -hmm. being loving, yeah. and you see, and you see this with Jesus too, so loving. And I'm gonna cleanse this temple because this is just wrong. Yeah. I won't stand for it. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take a stand. I love that you feel both of those things with Paul here. So there's an overarching principle that I see with this discussion that leads to something else that Paul teaches in chapter seven, mm. verse 10, and that is the, the principle of accountability. When you know to whom you are accountable, you have the courage to, to stand up for what mm. is right. You're not worried about the, what, what the world is thinking. You are accountable to God and that gives you the strength and courage to do that. And we see this in chapter seven, verse 10. When, when it comes to, to repentance, Paul says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And this is something that for, for a lot of Latter-day Saints, this is very familiar, this concept of godly sorrow versus the sorrow of the world. And I would love to hear some of your thoughts on what is Paul trying to help the, the Corinthian saints to learn about godly sorrow and what that can lead to, and then to kind of transition that into modern times. How do we truly come to understand godly sorrow? 
I do think as you serve, and, and just as one example, if you serve in a church leadership position, there's this desire when someone comes in and confesses something that's difficult to just, and you, you give love always. No one ever stands taller from my perspective than in those courageous moments. So you always give love. And then there's this tendency to just say, hey, okay, it's all good and, you know, pat on the back and, and you know, uh, move forward. Yeah. But the challenge there is that if there's not a change of heart, those behaviors just cycle and cycle and cycle and we all struggle with, with things. And, and so sometimes there's an opportunity to actually say, what about your relationship with God and what can we do to restore, to reconciliate that relationship with God? Let's, let's take this a little more seriously and not in any sense of condemnation or shaming, but just let's, let's take this seriously and feel I've, this has damaged my relationship with God and I've got some wounds in me and those need time to heal, yeah. right? Uh, and, and so there's an opportunity to sort of shift from this, oh, I'm embarrassed or I'm ashamed. Mm -hmm. We feel these Sorry things. Sorry, I got caught. Yeah, yeah I'm right. ticked. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, there's this moment in the Book of Mormon, right? <laughs> sorrow, what, what is it? They sorrow. Sorrow of the damned. The sorrow <laughs> of the damned. Where, and sometimes you feel that, like, I just, I'm ticked I that this did yeah. not work out for me, right? Yeah. That's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for this deep, godly kind of sorrow that draws us back towards God. And we have those moments in life where we really come to understand who we are so that we can keep that relationship with, with God strong enough to where we wanna be reconciled. And I love how it comes from so many sources. And I love the example you shared of your mother and yeah. the, how her assistance and how we all have a part as we live in this great, wonderful plan of happiness that God has, has created for all of us to be a part of. Ambassadors, ministers, yes. epistles, you know, workers, helpers, all Absolutely. of those things. The promise, the promise blessing that is associated with that in chapter six, verse 18, he promises and he will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Wow, that's a promise right there. Oh, that's yeah. as good as it gets. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wanna just mention how powerful it is when I think about what Paul's doing, what he's encouraging us to do, and then when I think about Christ's New Testament example, I've been challenged by watching, reading the way he interacted with people deep love and awareness and compassion. And he doesn't tend to leave them the same way that they were when they came into the, the conversation, right? And I'm, I'm somebody who tends to like, let's have comfortable conversation. I just want us <laughs> to enjoy each other's company. And then I'm like, okay, but Jesus, he, yeah. he loves them. He meets them where they are, but he challenges them yeah. over and over and over again. He lifts yeah. and says, and you can be happier. He doesn't, maybe not in so many words, but that's how I read it. You can be happier than you are. Why would I leave you right where you are? When God comes, that's what he does. And so as his ambassadors, yeah. can we try to insert some of the love of Christ in a way that Same improves, kind of, that yeah. lifts, yeah. Yeah, he never, said, he never said that he would make us comfortable. He challenged people even his disciples, even those that were following. He, he, was, he was seeking help, trying to help them come to another level. Mm -hmm. Well, what's great about that is if you, um, in verse four, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Mm. It doesn't mean that 
you know, maybe comfort in this sense doesn't mean you're going to be kicking back on a, on a, on a recliner. We're clearly going to have t- tribulation. Yeah, you're going to be but, going through. And man, the charge, which I love, is what comes next, that yeah. we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble. Okay, so you made the connection, and then I'm thinking it's right here as well. Um, let's, let's look at chapter 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. These challenges, we don't leave it there. Christ lifts us, and he's a resurrected Mm -hmm. Christ. He's a triumphant Christ, a suffering Christ and a triumphant Christ. And to me, this speaks to a very important principle of leadership in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a gospel of joy, and we are a gospel of optimism. The Lord's gospel is a gospel of optimism. And what you just read in those, you know, persecuted but not forsaken, right? You know, we know that if we dwell upon the persecuted part, it will have a tendency just to drag us down. But that's not where God would have us be, right? But but to be lifted up and uh, and to realize we're not forsaken, that he'll always be there for us. Mm. Wow, I, <laughs> I really do feel like we just started talking and it just went by so fast. It's been wonderful. Jeremiah, we're gonna give you the last word. What keeps you on this covenant path with such joy? Well, no one's ever accused me of not having enthusiasm. So <laughs> is a, I come with that, but um, I guess the foundation for me is that uh, I know that I know, and I know that God knows that I know. I, that's sort of a, a variation of what the prophet Joseph yeah. Smith said. When I, when I received a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having, you know, having had the Book of Mormon and, and, the, and the prophet Joseph Smith, my middle name is Joseph, named after the prophet Joseph Smith, um, having had all of that, uh, but then having an opportunity to learn the fullness of the gospel and to receive, um, uh, receive all the covenants and ordinance of the gospel, I knew it was true. I knew that I would never turn back. And I, I will tell you, I mean, I, I'll reference it again, you know, the foundation of my mother and the way that I was raised and the love that she gave and, the, and the, what she tried to pour into me. But I have to go back to the well all the time. <laughs> I, can't, I can't rely upon what has happened in the past. Our job as leaders is to help people have spiritual experiences all the time, keep on that path. And so uh, my, my admonition to those that might be listening is that Keep having those spiritual experiences. Keep creating those. And I leave, I am a witness of Jesus Christ in what I say and what I do. And uh, as I do that, it keeps coming back. The well is revived. Wow. Thank you both so much. This has really been a treat. And to, to learn from you, but to more importantly, to feel the spirit while having this discussion, it's been fantastic. And I really do hope that for those that are watching, they can use this as a springboard to their own gospel and scripture study, to have these moments of sitting around a table, talking about the scriptures and just feeling the goodness that comes from it. So thank you both for contributing to such a wonderful episode today. Thank you. It's been a joy. And for those watching at home, thank you so much for joining us in this discussion from 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you received. Come Follow Up is a learning and teaching resource. For clips, insights, artwork, and additional materials, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we'll continue in 2 Corinthians and discuss cheerful giving and progress through self-reflection. Thank you for watching.
Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. BYU Broadcasting.